a pleasure to gather together as the people of God and sing out to the Almighty, to lift Him up, just love and adore Him through worship, love being together with you and doing that today. And now we have the privilege of continuing in a bonus Sunday. Pastor Jared already mentioned that. I love these bonus Sundays. It's whenever there's a fifth Sunday in the month, we take that fifth Sunday as a bonus and we do things like we hear a redemption story like the shield. So good to hear their story this morning. But the other thing we do on bonus Sundays is we kind of hit pause on whatever sermon series we were doing or intended to start or whatever. And we take that, that little island of a Sunday and we get into one of the Psalms. Now, if you're not familiar, the Psalms are in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. We call it the Old Testament. It's their songbook, really, their poetry, lyrics. As you look in the Psalms, we call it our hearts cry out because they're raw. They are real. They're gritty. Listen, a lot of the scriptures is God speaking to us. What you have in the Psalms are these divinely inspired examples of Humans speaking to God. And that's why you see that it's really honest and it's really raw and real. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into Psalm 10. And as we get into Psalm 10, you will see that their hearts are crying out. It is raw and real. Listen closely to this. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and inequity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face, he will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. 
real. It's raw. There's pain there. If you listen closely, a good part of the psalm, the beginning of it, verses 2 through 11, it's talking about these wicked people or this wicked man, and particularly what he does is he oppresses the poor, the helpless. It says that he works with deceit. So there's scheming in order to oppress the poor and helpless. And it says, quote, he's greedy for gain. And then it says of him, quote, he pursues the poor. Now that's a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because if you're greedy for gain and you're trying to rip people off, you do that to rich people, right? They got the money. But actually in our world, that's not always what happens. A lot of scams are intended for the poor, and that's because they're an easier mark. They have less access to legal recourse, and so they have less protection. And so a lot of scams are geared toward the poor. Think of all the shady schemes that are aimed at retirees. Now, they're barely making ends meet in retirement, but they're an easier mark to rip them off. And so that happens. Then there's the lottery. The lottery is viewed as a poor tax because it preys on the desperation of the poor and the hopes of the poor, and so it gets them to give up their money. And so we siphon money from the poor to run the government. It's a poor tax. Then there's the issue of withholding wages from people. Now, you try to do that to the rich, they're going to be on you like white on rice. But, but you try to do that to the poor, you might get away with it. In fact, that happens with illegal immigrants. Now, some of you I know, your shackles go, well, they shouldn't even be here. Okay, I get that. Okay, I get that they came in illegally. But now that they're here, they go to get employment, and some employers hire them, pay them two bucks an hour, some ridiculous like that. After all, what are they going to do? <laughs> they can't do anything. You see that? It's oppression of the poor. There's the credit lending industry, slumlords, drugs, prostitution. There is a lot of oppression aimed at the poor. So this guy is greedy, but he's not only greedy, but it says he will crush the poor. That's a word that he crushes the poor in order to get money. Talks about him like a lion who is hiding in a thicket and stalking and pounces and devours and even says he murders the innocent. Ah, that's a terrible, terrible thing. You might say, hey, wait a minute, has this person no fear of God? No. <laughs> no. The, the psalm's pretty clear. In verse 3, it says he curses and renounces the Lord. There's arrogance there. And so in some cases, this person thinks there is no God. In fact, it says that in verse 4. He says, there is no God. Sometimes an atheist. But in other occasions, it says, or if there is a God, this guy thinks that God can't do anything about it. Like verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. So, So maybe there is a God, but that God is uninvolved and impotent. So here you have this person that is mocking God, that is taunting God, that thinks he's getting one over on God. So, God, I'm going to go mess this person up. You want to stop me? Stop me. No? Okay. See? You either don't exist or you can't do jack. Thinks he got one over on God. This guy is arrogant and unashamed in his wickedness. Either God doesn't exist or he can't do anything about it, so he thinks he gets away with it. And it seems in the psalm that maybe he's right. Maybe the wicked get away with it. Like, look at verse 5. It says, His ways prosper at all times. 
your judgments are on high out of his sight. Which means, God, you might judge him, kind of, theoretically, but your judgments are so on high that they don't seem to touch him. And he gets away with it. And so that's why the psalm starts out in verse 1 with this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of all this? And these psalms are so real and so honest. Have you ever said that to God? God, where are you? And of course, we always say it in times of trouble. Like nobody wins the lottery and goes, God, where are you? Right? No, it's, you're, you're having a hard time making ends meet that month, and that's the month that the car breaks down and one of your kid, kids breaks his arm and needs medical care. God, where are you? That's just one example. I mean, I could go through a list of pain in this room that we go through, and life hurts, and we say, God, where are you? Now, what's interesting in Psalm 10 is it seems like both the oppressor and the one being oppressed have a similar view of God. That God is distant, detached, dispassionate. God is apathetic to our plight. He is not involved. He doesn't care. And if we're not careful, most of us are deists, okay? You might know what that means. Basically, we're theists, so we believe there is a God, but that God is so distant and detached, he's not involved, he's not going to do anything. That's deism. And both the oppressor and the oppressed might have that view. So let me pause there for a moment, and let me tell you a story. Some of you might have heard from me before, but it's a story of a farmer in the Midwest who really hated God, the things of God, the idea of God, the people of God, particularly Christianity. Didn't like that. And so he would intentionally plow his fields on Sunday morning when all his fellow farmer neighbor friends were walking to church, just to mock them, just to taunt them. He would shake his fists at them. He probably shook more than his fists, but I won't do that right now. So, you know, but he's just jeering and taunting them. Now, when October came, harvest came in, he had the best harvest of his life. In fact, he had the best harvest in the entire county. And so he decided to take out an ad in the local paper so that he could write what he wanted, and he just gave a diatribe against Christians. And at the end of it, here's how he ended. He said, faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. You hear Psalm 10 in that? So one of his Christian neighbors responded by taking out a very small ad in the next edition of that newspaper. And he just had one line. And he said this, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. It's good, right? God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. The game ain't over yet. You're celebrating as if you won. But have you seen some of those celebration fail things where an athlete or a team acts like they won and then, oops, here's one. Watch this. For Tanjay Pepio, he's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't. And you, you see his face. 
And you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. Too bad, so sad. So here the white dude is as he's running. Like he's raising the crowd, right? Like, I got this. Let's celebrate. And he thought he won. And then he didn't. And so that white dude, as he lays on the ground, that is the, the wicked guy in Psalm 10 thinking he's got one over on God, that he's won this thing, but the game is not over yet. God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. And so justice is coming, and yet what do we do? What do we do in the meantime with all this? Well, the psalm has a lot to say to us. I'm going to give you some things that it points out. The first one is this, that we are to wait on God. Wait on God. Because justice is is coming. The game is not over yet. And justice will come either now or later. So there might be justice now on this earth. There's a hint of that in verse 2 where it says, let them, the wicked ones, let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Right? Let them be caught in their own traps. Let there be like divine justice, poetic justice. What goes around comes around, man. So maybe there's justice here on earth. But if not, at the very least, later. Later, verse 16 points us out where it says this. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Now what that means is that nations come and go. That's why we don't hope in America. America is just another nation that has come and will go. So man's justice is fickle. Looking to the government to save your problems is fickle. The Lord is a king forever and ever. Nations perish from his land. So he will not forget. He will execute justice. We wait on him. And if you look at verse 18, which is at the very end of this psalm, here's how it ends. It's talking about the coming day of the Lord, and it says, So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You know what that means? Human wickedness has an expiration date. Praise God. Think about that. Human wickedness has an expiration date. It will be done. Now what that means as we wait on the Lord is that we can be people of peace, not of vengeance. Because I can trust justice to the Lord that he will get it done either now or later and I can let that rest on him. And and, and don't miss this part. Listen, that means we do not have to be bitter people. Because you understand, your bitterness at the wickedness that's been done to you, your bitterness does not hurt your oppressor. It only hurts you. And so when we wait on God, we trust it into his hands He'll get justice done. So wait on God. The second thing, though, the psalm points out to us is to lean on God. To lean on God. Sometimes our Lord leaves us in that hard circumstance, right? He leaves us. He doesn't, the, the solution isn't that he gets us out, but what he does is he enters into it with us and strengthens our heart and helps us get through that hard time. He's there with you. He hears. He listens. He loves you. Verse 17 points that out. It says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Didn't say that he necessarily took them out of it. 
He strengthened their heart in it. See, he might not take you out of the fire, but he will enter the fire with you and carry you through the fire. And so what we need to do as the people of God is that we need to start with who our God is and then work to our circumstances. Unfortunately, we often do the reverse. What I mean by that is in hard times, what we got to start with is God is good. God is loving. God is righteous. God is just. God is holy. I know you are like that, God. I know you see. I know you care. I know you're involved. God, will you help me understand what I'm going through? See the direction? But what we often do is the reverse. We start with, this stinks. We probably use different language, but we're in church, right? So, like, this is hard. This stinks. And so, therefore, God, you must not exist. You must not care. You must not be loving. You must must not be just. You see, we work from our circumstances to our God. That's not the direction. We've got to start with who God is and lean on him. And you heard that in the shield story this morning. That's a redemption story. I hope you caught something. The redemption story isn't that Cassie was born. Oh, we rejoice in that. That was an awesome part of the story. But did you notice that they were leaning on God before Cassie was even conceived? And they talked about the goodness of God, and they talked about how he was loving them and supporting them through the family of God, their community in Christ. That's what that story was about. They were leaning on God through very hard times. That's what we got to do. So we wait on God for his justice. We lean on God during hard times. Thirdly, what I want you to do is care like God. Care like God. Because he sees, he remembers, he does not forget. And he has a very particular soft spot in his heart for the poor, the innocent, the helpless, the afflicted, the fatherless, and the oppressed. Those are not words that I made up and chose. I plucked each one of those from Psalm 10. This is the heart of our God. He cares about those people. And what we've got to do is remove our blinders to the affliction of the poor in this world. The problem is not just the oppressor, but it's also the ignorance of the rest of us, the apathy of the rest of us, that we are resigned to it, we are naive about it. That's a problem as well. Now, what I want to ask you is, like, are you concerned about the plight of the poor and the oppressed in this world? Because God is. And, and if we're honest, in this room, we are predominantly middle-class suburbanites. Not everyone, but most of us probably lean conservative like me. And we don't care about the poor. But God does. God does. And if we're going to be like our God, we have to care about what he cares about. We have to care like God. We have to care about the poor. That's part of it. And then uh, one more thing. Uh, Well, I get two more. Let me get to the next one. The next one is this. I want you to thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Now you go, wait, time out, Pastor. Don't you mean thank God for justice? Did you mean to say justice? No, I meant to say grace. See, whenever you hear the scriptures, we have a tendency to kind of read ourselves into the story. We find somebody in the story that we relate with. We're like, that's me. That's me, right? Now, when you hear Psalm 10, (laughs) every last one of us went, yeah, I'm the poor oppressed person. Nobody in this room said, 2, 3, 11's about me. I'm the wicked dude. Nobody did that. And yet, 
check this out. In verse 4 of Psalm 10, it says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, does not seek God. That's the wicked's problem. He does not seek God. Right? So when you get to the New Testament, God has the Apostle Paul write Romans. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul is making the case that all of us are guilty before God. And in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 of Romans, here's what Paul says. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, listen to this, no one seeks for God. Uh-oh. That's us. In verse 14 of chapter 3, in Romans, Paul says, Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That is a quote from Psalm 10, verse 7. Paul is saying, that's about you, not the oppressed, the oppressor. See, the New Testament interpretation of the way life is, it's not that the bad, nasty people are out there and we's good people. That's not it. The New Testament interpretation is that all of us, are unrighteous. All of us are wicked. All of us are oppressors. We got a problem. We got to remember that we're not only victims, but we're perpetrators. Now listen, I know you have been hurt in life. I get that. You've been victims at times, and it stunk. But while others have hurt you with their sin, we got to admit, hey, I've hurt other people with my sin, and so have you. We're a mixture of both oppressed and oppressors. So here's a question. Do you want the justice of God? Be very careful what you ask for. Be very careful. To be honest, what we usually want is I want justice on them. Grace for me. Right? Justice on them. Grace for me. But it doesn't work that way. The gospel is either true or it's not. And if the gospel is true, thank God for grace that saves my sorry soul. And so what I come to is a point where the problem in the world is not out there or those people. The problem's right here. It's me. Thank God for grace. And then lastly, what I want you to do is I want you to call out to God. To call out to God. Psalm 10, 12 says this, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. The psalmist is calling out to God. You see, throughout Psalm 10, the problem with the wicked dude is that he has forgotten about God. Do not join him in his foolishness. Do not forget about God. Call out to God. God is not detached. God is not apathetic. In fact, you want to know how involved God is? Look at verse 14. But you do see, for you note mischief in vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. You see, I highlighted that second line there, that you may take it into your hands. Do you want to know what it looks like when God takes our problems into his hands? It looks like this. He took it into his hands. Our sin. He helped us. We are the helpless that he helped. We are the fatherless, and he, that was the price of our adoption so that we, these horrible people, we're wicked, we're oppressors, we're problematic. And he adopted us? Yeah. Yeah. 
We cannot look at the cross of Jesus Christ and in any way think that God is somehow distant and detached and dispassionate and apathetic. That is the truth right there. That is the purchase price of justice. That is the purchase price of grace. That is the purchase price of our adoption. That is the purchase price of God's love for us. And that is our hope. That is why we will worship together right now. In fact, would you stand with me? And during this time of worship, we're going to call out to our God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We admit before you that we are people who have been hurt by this world and we want to pray for justice. I know you love justice and you hate sin and I know you will execute justice. And in part of me is excited about that for the harm that's been done to me. And yet, when I look in your word, I see that I'm a part of the problem. I'm not innocent. I've hurt others. And your justice is a scary thing. And so thank you for your grace. Thank you that on the cross of Christ that you took it into your hands that my sin, our sin, might go on Jesus. Father, we want during this time until Jesus comes back for us, we want to wait on you. We want to lean on you. We want to care and love just like you. Do that in our lives, please. We pray in Christ's name.